This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Now we've talked about financial freedom and we've taken some things, most of the Old Testament scriptures. We looked at the blessing of Abraham. We looked at where the Bible says God promised Abraham, I will bless you and I will make you a blessing. We looked over in uh, Proverbs where the blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow to it. And that's exactly what Adam happened to Abraham. God made him rich in silver and cattle and gold. We looked in Deuteronomy chapter eight, uh, 7 and 8. We looked at Deuteronomy chapter 28 where the blessing of Abraham was identified according to the law. When the law of Moses was given, the blessing of Abraham was identified. If you keep the commandments, then God will do these things. He'll bless your uh, provision. He'll increase your flocks and your herds, your silver and gold. All that you have will be multiplied and he will take sickness away from the midst of you. We looked at Galatians chapter 3 where it says, and if you be Christ, that means if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, then the blessing of Abraham, your Christ, if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. All those blessings, the blessing of provision, the blessing of, of healing, all those blessings now belong to us because we've made Jesus the Lord of our lives. Today I want to talk to you about Jesus and prosperity. Turn with me over to Luke chapter 9. Now the biggest hindrance that the modern day church has regarding this subject, and I'm talking about financial provision and God meeting your needs and, and so forth. The biggest problem in my experience that the modern-day Christian has in America, it's not like this all over the world, but in America, is the idea that Jesus was a homeless guy. And here's where they get that. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. It came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, unto Jesus, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said... Unto him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That one scripture has caused the modern day church to think Jesus was homeless. Now, can I ask you a question? Is Jesus saying, no, you don't want to follow me. I'm homeless. Seriously? Is that a possibility? Somebody comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you, wherever you go. Isn't that what Jesus is after? People following him? Isn't that what he wants you to do? So is there any possibility he's trying to discourage the guy? Any whatsoever. Why then does the church take his answer and say, Well, serving God, it's going to be rough. Why? Let's keep reading. Verse 59, And he, Jesus, said to another guy, Follow me. So he must want people to follow him. But the other guy said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. And then Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Then another also, verse 61, said, Lord, I will follow you. But let me first go and bid them farewell, which are at, at my home in my house. And Jesus said unto him, no man having put forth his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, can I ask you a question? Why didn't he tell him to sell his house? Isn't that what God wants everybody to do? Sell his house, be poor, and follow him. Isn't that the modern-day church idea of, of, of God's attitude toward money and finances? Jesus didn't say anything about him having a house being wrong. The Bible says part of the blessing of Abraham is that you'll build goodly houses in the promised land. 
How could God be against houses? And if part of the blessing of Abraham is to have a goodly house, if Jesus is walking according to the blessings, according to the commandments of God, then wouldn't the blessing of Abraham give him a house too? I know people don't think like this. I realize I'm a weird guy. I I get all that. But isn't it true? But see, we cut all that stuff off. It's, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that most Christians, most of the church world, most American Christians at least, misread Romans 12 too. Where it says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I am absolutely convinced most Christians read that as removing of your mind. Because Christianity is all about this feeling stuff. It's all about this interior, all this, oh, we just have such warm, fuzzy feelings toward God, even when He's killing us. Where does the Bible ever say quit thinking? No, in fact, the Bible says think like God thinks. You think God's sitting up in heaven having warm, fuzzy feelings about everything? You think the earth was created because God had a warm, fuzzy feeling? God's a thinker. Look at the intricacies of the creation. Just the stuff we know about. Do you know that when we get to heaven, we'll find out a lot of stuff that science never figured out, and we'll go, wow, who knew that? God's a thinker. He wants his people to be thinkers. You know why most Christians don't know why they believe what they believe? Because they refuse to think. You know where the majority of spiritual growth comes? In the mind. As you renew your mind to the word, then that, that truth that you find out through your mind, then meditated upon becomes a part of your spirit. And then it's acted on, and that's where growth occurs. You're not going to grow spiritually unless you think in line with the word. So let's use our minds in line with the word. If the guy comes to Jesus and says, Lord, I'll follow you, and Jesus says, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What is he saying? He's saying, if you follow me, there's going to have to be some sacrifices made. Well, that's certainly true. Anybody not found that to be true? Following the Lord includes and involves some sacrifice, doesn't it? Now, your sacrifice may be different from my sacrifice. I hope it is. So we may have different things that we sacrifice, but there are sacrifices to following the Lord. You lose some friends, don't you? If you're really going to follow God, you have to turn your back on some activities that other people will say you're nuts to give up if you're really going to follow God. And it's not always fun to pay your tithes, is it? Sometimes that hurts, especially in the beginning until you really get established in the the reality of what it brings into your life. Sometimes that hurts. Sometimes you have to lay aside the desires of your flesh to do what the Bible says to do, and that's not fun. Ever. So there are sacrifices that need to be made if we're going to follow the Lord, right? That's what Jesus is saying. And notice he says it three times in three different situations. Because each one of these guys are coming up with an excuse regarding following the Lord. It's easy to say, hard to do. First guy says, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, it's going to be sacrifice. We don't know what this guy does. We don't know if this guy said, well, I'm willing to make that sacrifice. That's not a problem for me. Or if he said, oh, well, I thought it was all going to be fun and games. Forget that sacrifice stuff. He said to another, follow me. But the guy makes an excuse and says, suffer me first to go bury my father. In other words, he's saying, let me wait till my father dies. That's what bury his father means. I can't go. I've got family responsibilities. 
Always an excuse, isn't there? You can find one if you want to. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead, but to go down and preach the kingdom of God. In other words, he's saying, what I'm asking you to do, the work that I'm asking you. And folks, every time Jesus asks somebody to follow him, he's offering them a place with the disciples. If you've got this idea that Jesus just went around doing miracles and all of a sudden everybody wanted to attach themselves to him, think again. Jesus asked a lot of people to follow him and they said, no, I don't think so. Not me. So he says, let the dead bury their dead, but you go preach the kingdom of God. Another also came and said, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home in my house. Jesus said, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. What's he saying? Here's another family issue. He said, no, if you're going to go, the time is now. And folks, how many of us make deals with God that if God will do this or at some time in the future, then we'll do it. Then we'll follow him. Then we'll serve him. That's the point he's making. Now, if you're going to follow God, the time's now. Now, turn back with me to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. We've looked at this before, but I want you to see the contrast between Jesus being a homeless guy from this foxes have nests and, or foxes have holes and birds have nests stuff and how things really were. Mark chapter 10. Verse 17, and when he was gone forth in the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and said, and asked him, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Isn't that very similar to people saying, you know, or at least people having the right motive and right attitude about I'll follow you? I mean, two of the three guys came to Jesus in Luke chapter 9 and said, Lord, I'll follow you. It shows their hearts in the right place, doesn't it? The other guy, Jesus, went to them and said, you follow me. He says, well, okay, I got things to do first. Not now. So here's a guy that seems to have a right, his heart in the right place too. So he said, what, must, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, and that is God. Now that's not Jesus saying I'm not good and I don't do good things. That's Jesus saying the source or the origin of everything that I do and everything that I say is God. It's not me. Jesus told us that. He said, everything I say, I say of my Father. What I do, I do because I see my Father do it. He's saying, this is not me and of myself. In other words, he's saying, I'm not doing this because I'm God, I'm the Son of God. I'm doing this because I've emptied myself, come to earth as a man, and I'm doing what my Father has given me to do. In other words, he operated on the earth exactly the same way that he tells you to operate on the earth. As a man filled with the Spirit, or with the life of God on the inside of it, whichever way you like to hear that. Then he said, verse 19, he, you know the commandments. In other words, the answer is always in the Word. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Literally, do not murder. Shed innocent blood. Do not steal. Do not bear, bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor your father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these things I have observed from my youth. One of them is, is left out. Uh, the 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet. Jesus, interestingly enough, didn't say that one because that's the guy's problem. So the man answers rightly. He says, Master, all these things have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding, loved him. Now, we're going to find out this guy's really rich. Jesus loved him when he was rich. I don't know about you, but that's significant to me. Because I grew up in a church that told me that God couldn't love you if you were rich. Yet Jesus doesn't seem to follow their denominational pattern. 
Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, one thing you lack. There's only one thing you're missing. There's only one thing you need to correct. There's only one thing you need to do. What's that? Go your way, sell whatsoever you have and give to the poor. See, the problem is that money. Folks, that's not the problem. The problem is where his treasure is. He says, go your way, sell what you have and give to the poor. And by selling what you have and giving to the poor, thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come take up thy cross and follow me. What is the one thing the guy lacks? Treasure in heaven. What's the only way you get treasure in heaven? Giving to others. The one thing he lacks is treasure in heaven. The selling what you have is not an important issue with God. The treasure in heaven is. And that's the one thing that he's missing. That's the one thing that he lacks. That's the one thing he's coming short in. One thing he's coming short in. He's used his finances, his resources for himself instead of the benefit of others. That's the one thing he's missing. And it doesn't disqualify him. Jesus just says, look. Do what it takes to get treasure in heaven. Come be part of my group. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Holy Spirit said through Paul, Christ is the head, you're the body. Where are the feet? Are the feet in the head? No, the feet are in the body. That means if you put all things under his feet and you're the body of Christ and he's the head over all things to the church, which is his body, that means all things are under your feet. He's there to administrate We're here in the field. He's at the home office. We're in the field. That's the only difference. We've been given his authority to use in the field. We've been given his place in the field. We have the same place with God, holy and without blame, as Jesus does himself. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. And he, the rich young ruler, was sad at that saying and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. I say this every time, but I would submit to you that the great possessions had him. That's why he wasn't willing to turn loose of anything. Well, how can I tell, Pastor Mike? How can I tell if my heart is in my things or if my heart is really toward God? Anything you can't turn loose of and give away, that's what has you. I heard a missionary say many years ago, well, it was Terry Mize. A long time ago, when I was in Bible school, I heard him say this. He said, I'll go through my house every now and then and I'll just look around and say, Lord, is there anything here that I can't get rid of? He said in, in the early years, he said, there was a few things that, that the Lord had given me, th- things that I that had been blessed with. There were a few things that, that I really, I thought about giving them up, and I thought, oh, I can't get rid of that. And he said, instantly, I took it and gave it away. He said, now? He said, it doesn't matter what it is. I don't hesitate to give anything away. There's not anything that I would I would have a hard time getting rid of or turning loose of. Nothing in the world. God can have anything I've got. Well, that's treasure in heaven, folks. Because the Bible says where your heart is, or where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Jesus wants this guy's heart to be in heaven, not just for his things. Now, can I ask you a question? How did he get rich? 
We know he's rich. He's got great possessions. How do you get rich? Well, it almost sounds like what the blessing of Abraham in Deuteronomy 28 says, that if you keep the commandments, all these blessings will come on you. It almost seems like he got rich by the Bible way uh, to get rich because he kept all these commandments from his youth. He's a doer of the word. It sounds almost like the blessing of Abraham made him rich just like it made Abraham rich. Doesn't it? But that didn't ensure that his heart was in the right place or he had treasure in heaven, did it? So that's the issue. The issue is you got to have treasure in heaven. That must be important to God. He didn't say the problem is you've got stuff. He said the problem is you don't have treasure in heaven. So how do you get treasure in heaven? There's only one way to do it. Sell stuff or use your resources to give to other people. Wouldn't matter if you sell things. He could have given money to other people. It wouldn't have mattered. But the issue is to use your resources for the benefit of others. That's how you get treasure in heaven. Everything else is just money in the bank. So he went away sad at that saying. Grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about and said unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? Notice Jesus makes a simple statement. It's tough for rich people to get into the kingdom of God. And his disciples were astonished at his words. Now, folks, if Jesus was a homeless guy, that would have been the place for them to say, Yeah, we can understand that. We, we used to think the blessing of Abraham would make you rich, but after seeing you, Jesus, and see how you're homeless... Now we know that if you're going to really be close to God, you've got to be homeless like we are. Wouldn't that have been their natural reaction if that's the condition that Jesus was operating in? The exact opposite of the church's idea of Jesus operating here on the earth in the way that he was would have been what they did, and that is to be astonished at Jesus saying rich people are going to have a tough time to get into the kingdom of heaven. Why? For the same reason the rich young ruler wouldn't get rid of his stuff. Rich people generally... As a rule, as far as the world is concerned, I'm not talking about the church, but as the world is concerned, rich people generally use their resources for themselves instead of others. And that's what Jesus is saying. It's going to be tough for rich people to get into the kingdom of God because they don't have treasure in heaven. And his disciples were floored. They were astonished at his words. Astonished at his words. That means speechless, stunned. But Jesus answered again and said unto them, Children... He must have seen the look on their faces and said, okay, let me explain what I mean. Children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. How hard is it, Jesus? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, this has a specific meaning. This eye of the needle, a camel going through the eye of the needle, is a specific reference that they know. Because the inner gates, the inner walls of the city of Jerusalem, there's a, Jerusalem had a wall built around it, and then as the city expanded, it had another wall built around it. So the city of Jerusalem, even today, has two sets of walls. And as a result, the inner wall was where the marketplace was, and there was a gate that was, uh, and this was not unusual with the, the inner walls, but there was one particular gate that was close to the marketplace that was small. You could well understand that a small gate is easier to defend against your enemies than a big gate would be. A lot of ancient architecture is this way. There are long hallways and different things like that where enemies, if they broke through the gates, would have to come through and it becomes a killing zone for the enemies to, for the, for the defenders to, to shoot arrows at them and stuff like that. Well, it's the same principle. And so there's a real small gate. Now, if a camel was loaded down, think Beverly Hillbilly's truck, 
If a camel is, is loaded down with stuff for the marketplace, in order to get through that gate, there's only one way you can get through. And that is, you have to, on the outside of the inner gate, you have to unload it of stuff. And then the camel has to crawl through on his knees, symbolizing humility and prayer. And then on the other side of the inner gate, then they load the stuff back up on the camel, and then he goes to market. That's God's attitude toward us. You can't come to God with stuff in your hands. You have to come to God with a humble and penitent heart. But don't worry. He'll load you up on the other side. That's the blessing of Abraham. That's what he's making the point about. And that's exactly what he told the rich young ruler to do. He said, look, on this side, you're going to have to have treasure in heaven. So take your resources and use it for others. Don't don't worry, though, on the other side... Remember, the promise is given, it'll be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give unto your bosom. This guy would have wound up richer than he was to begin with. I'll prove it to you. So Jesus explains, it's hard for those that trust in riches. So the, attitude, the, the point is where your heart is, not what you've got. We made the point in, in from, uh, what is it, Luke chapter 16, I guess it is, where it talks about the rich young ruler, or, or not, uh, I'm sorry, the rich man and Lazarus. Both of them die. The rich man in hell is lifting up his eyes and talking to Abraham. Well, Abraham was rich, wasn't he? The Bible says God made him very rich in silver and cattle and gold. So you got one rich man in hell and one rich man in paradise. Didn't keep Abraham from going to paradise, did it? Didn't keep Abraham from going to heaven when Jesus came and, and uh, led captivity captive? So what's the issue? Riches? No. The issue is, what is your heart in? Do you have treasure in heaven? Are you willing to use your resources for others and not just yourself? That's the issue, and it's the only issue. So Jesus explains further, verse 26, and they were astonished out of measure. Now they're even more blown away than they were before. They were astonished out of measure. What would cause them to be astonished out of measure? Because they know the blessing of Abraham is a promise to be rich. So in their minds, they're saying, wait a minute, God promised Abraham to make us rich. Now, Jesus, you're the miracle worker. We know you're sent from God, and you're telling us that rich people are going to have a hard time getting in heaven. How can this be? Those two things don't seem to fit, do they? That's the, the source of their astonishment. Now, folks, I'll say again, if Jesus was a homeless guy, they wouldn't have any problem believing this. They would have said, yeah, we used to think that blessing of Abraham stuff was for everybody. But now after seeing you, we see that homeless is really... In God's good graces. They certainly would have been astonished at what he said, would they? They would have looked at Jesus as the example and said, well, yeah, homeless, spiritual, those two go together. They could have started their first denomination right there. So they were astonished, verse 26, they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? Notice what they come up with. Well, then who in the world is going to get into heaven? They are so convinced of the blessing of Abraham making financial provision that they are astonished saying, "Uh, we don't get this at all. Who in the world can possibly be saved? We know that it's supposed to go back to Abraham because he was the one that was first given the promise. Then after that, Moses came and brought us the law. But that law was based on the blessing of Abraham. So who in the world can get saved? Who in the world is going to make it to heaven? Everybody except Israel? That's their thinking. And Jesus, looking upon them, said, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. What is Jesus' point? 
With God, rich people can get into heaven. Why? Because they'll lay up treasure in heaven. They'll use the resources not just for themselves, but for the good of others. So with God, it's possible. But that's the only way it's going to be possible. Because rich, unsaved people don't use their resources for other people. That's his point. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lord, we have left all and followed you. I love Peter. Peter's always looking for a way to get in. What about us? We've left all. Remember what we just read over in Luke chapter 9? There are going to be sacrifices to ministry. Peter's saying we've already made sacrifices. He's telling the truth. He's being honest about it. He said, Lord, we've left all. We've already made sacrifices and followed you. And Jesus answered and said unto him, there is no man that has left. In other words, there's nobody that makes the sacrifice of house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels. But, now, if you bowl all those things down, he's saying they're going to be family sacrifices and they're going to be financial sacrifices to follow him. But there's nobody that makes those sacrifices but shall receive in a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. And in the world to come, eternal life. But many that are first shall be last and many, many that are first shall be last and the last first. What's he saying? He's saying, Here's what would have happened to the rich young ruler, just like you can expect to happen to you. Sacrifices you make to follow him will always be multiplied back to you. Now, folks, God doesn't settle up by the end of each week. But he does settle up. Now, compare Mark chapter 10 with Luke chapter 9. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus said nobody has left. Houses, lands, mothers, fathers, family, whatever, for my sake in the Gospels, but shall receive a hundredfold in this lifetime with persecutions and eternal life to come. So he's talking about something that benefits you here on the earth and something that benefits you eternally, right? He's saying sacrifices have both natural, earthly benefits and eternal benefits. That's why we shouldn't kick when God tells us to give something. If we know this, we won't. Does this sound like Jesus is expecting to be homeless? I mean, if it works for them, why wouldn't it work for Jesus? As you can see, Jesus was not some homeless guy that lived under a bridge. God provided for him just like he wants to provide for you. The blessing of Abraham belongs to the church. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. You know the reason, one of the main reasons why we won't forgive other people? Because we're afraid they won't get what's coming to them. So what does that tell us about the love that we're supposed to walk in, the forgiveness that we're supposed to walk in? It's supposed to be a total forgiveness so that we're not looking for anybody to get theirs anymore. Now that can be tough. It's one thing to say, the love of God has filled my heart. And therefore, Father, I pray for my enemies, knowing full well that you will pour out the wrath of heaven upon them. 
But perfect love isn't looking for somebody to get theirs. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love doesn't deny that I've been done wrong. But it just says, I'm not looking for them to get theirs because of it. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.